0: Hello again, and welcome to This Week in the Ancient Near East, podcast that takes archaeology exactly as seriously as it deserves. I'm Alex Jaffe, and I'm director of the Bob and Ray Institute of Archaeology at the University of Southern North Dakota at Hoople. Fortunately, I am joined by two real academics from actual institutions, Professor J.P. Dessel of the University of Tennessee and Professor Rachel Hallett of the State University of New York at Purchase. We're coming to you from the Richard Daystrom Lounge at the Department of Computer Science here on the beautiful Hoopel campus. Today, we're talking about using artificial intelligence, you know, the kind with computers, to recognize cuneiform signs and then transliterate and transcribe them and the road to automatic translations of texts in Sumerian, Akkadian, and other ancient languages. With a million or more unexamined cuneiform tablets in museum collections around the world, these techniques potentially represent a boon to the field of Assyriology. But will this be a labor-saving saving device, labor-saving device? That's hard to say. For Assyriologists and historians, allowing them to ask new and bigger questions using big data to find new patterns or unexpected outliers, or will it mostly cut humans out of the loop? Imagine scads of underpaid peons sitting in a seriological sweatshops correcting the machine. Today we call those peons graduate students. This is the problem with all artificial intelligence research. So, does AI represent an opportunity to democratize scholarship in new ways, bringing in new participants and ideas from outside the small circle of credentialed professionals, which would be a good thing. Or would it bring in a bunch of phonies and crackpots with screwy ideas, which would be a bad thing? We surely don't know, but the clear and obvious conclusion is that the need for podcasts to explain new results will be higher than ever. Okay. Um, So before we are all replaced by AI, or, or, or at least some kind of avatars, um let's let's do a, a lightning round okay Should i do something apropos
1: because that is so distinctively human that's
0: <laughs> true you don't see the computers coming up with like completely almost random but yet very leading and spiritually enlightening kinds of questions yet
1: what's the name of that uh oh the turing test
0: right well <laughs> not sure i could pass that but uh, <laughs> Okay, so um uh m- any memories of the first class that you took with an Assyriologist?
2: <laughs> That's your lightning round, huh? Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. Or in, or any Assyriological <laughs> memories, I suppose. You know, <laughs> but uh first impressions are lasting. Right, right,
2: right. Rachel, you wanna go? Um I'm torn between two. Um, should, should I give names of professors or perhaps?
0: Uh, well, if it's a, if it's appropriate, you know, you don't want to be.
2: So I did take very nice a class um, with a Hittitologist. Uh, actually, a history. It was. It was a. I think they alternated their three subsections of my ancient Near Eastern history class when I was my first year of graduate school and one of the sections was with, with a Hittitologist, and he kept referring to, uh, I think he, I think it was Mr. Dinger Kahl. And <laughs> in the class, yeah, none of us in the class knew what the heck it was, although I figured out that Dinger is a sign for for God. And I'm guessing if I was hearing correctly and he was really saying Mr. Dinger Call, then it was a male, a male God. Uh, but I never figured it out beyond that, and neither did any other member of that class. Uh, so that's my story. Yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, my senior year in college, for reasons that are entirely unclear to me, I decided <laughs> to take Acadian. Oh wow! <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> and that that lasted about a month, and in that month, I don't think I've ever been more confused <laughs> and completely. I had. I, I had nothing to hold on to. <laughs> there were two graduate students, one of whom I believe is at the University of Minnesota now. Okay. I'm not sure. And uh, I was told several times that you needed to know German. That <laughs> German was the first Semitic language. So I, <laughs> I was already at a loss. <laughs> I couldn't even read the textbook. I was also introduced to Eisenbrauns at that point. Ah. You know, one of these graduate students was ordering, taking the taking care of us by ordering some rudimentary grammar. Right. This is, you know, the late or the mid 70s, mm-hmm. late 70s, late 70s. And there were very few grammars. And he, he said he was ordering it from Eisenbrauns. And I was just, the whole thing, it was a rabbit <laughs> hole that I didn't even knew existed and let alone how I found myself in it. I lasted about a month. Okay. I was just desperately trying to memorize all of these signs. I had <laughs> no possible way of really doing it. And then that was it. Do you remember anything from that month? No, I don't remember anything. But I will tell you something that that you will have get a huge kick out of. Okay, and that is if I had any facility with foreign languages, let alone Semitic languages, I I would have wanted to become an Assyriologist.
0: Ah, <laughs> okay. A little
1: Assyriology hmm. envy, and hmm. that's why this whole AI thing is, you know. It's, there you go. It's exactly. One, potentially,
0: right. exactly <laughs> <laughs> for chumps like us. <laughs> Alex? Well, um. In in college, the first Mesopotamian history class that I took was um, a seminar. There was me, there was me, and maybe one other person, and it was taught by a visiting postdoc who's now since left the field. Oh, um, but the yeah. interesting thing was that he taught it backwards from <laughs> from the Neo Babylonian period backwards. Uh-huh. towards the sumerian period as if you were excavating a tell oh very very much but since that time i have been completely <laughs> and utterly confused <laughs> right about what comes first and what comes last because it's just all
1: yeah Do you remember the rationale
0: there was I, it was some kind of um rationale like you know like you're excavating downward but why do the numbers move forward? Um they get less, but they get bigger, and it was a complete it was a complete mess for me <laughs> and uh and my you know my ability to to memorize names of of anybody um is limited in in the best of times, so so yeah, so uh, you know, I think we all have we've all been um traumatized yeah. <laughs> to, to a certain extent and Keep and yet <laughs> uh, and yet, you know, some of the 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 intellects in ancient near eastern studies that I respect the most right. have been seriologists. Mm-hmm. exactly. Mm-hmm. They're um, very smart. <laughs> no, not all of them. <laughs> <laughs> Our listener, if, if, if presuming he's a or she is an meteorologist but I mean, I once met Mario Liverani. Mm-hmm. Oh boy, <laughs> <laughs> right. he's a smart dude. I met Igor um, Diakonov once also. Oh boy! Wow, and we and I think we all knew the Todd Moores. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh,
1: yeah.
0: Those yeah. are people who are way smarter, at least than me. <laughs> Way smarter. (laughs) Right. But does it matter anymore? That's the big question. That's the big question. question. Which leads us (laughs) in a linear and seamless excavation. Uh, Who's going to introduce this? I'm just going to read the title. Okay. R-CNN-based polygonal wedge detection learned from annotated 3D renderings and mapped photographs of open data cuneiform tablets.
2: What a riveting title. <laughs> <laughs> Something to to uh, innovate the public's imagination.
0: And yet, if it works, when it works, it really will. Mm-hmm. Um, It'll
1: democratize the seriology, mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: which is just what they want. <laughs>
1: well,
0: <laughs> Have well, all of that education just like out the window? Well, you
1: know. but that's that's of course the big issue. But yeah. someone should frame it a little bit. It more should be framed
0: coherently, <laughs> I got
1: framed.
2: Okay, so so using artificial intelligence to translate untranslated cuneiform texts—that's what we're talking about.
0: Right. So this article, which is written by four very smart people, um, talks about using um, artificial intelligence to do uh, sign detection and wedge detection. And as the listener obviously knows, and mm-hmm. as we've repeated endlessly on this broadcast, you know, the Cuneiform language is composed of these chicken scratchings on <laughs> on clay created with, that are sort of wedge shaped, but they're very complicated s- shapes. And fragmented. Often. And, right, and they're fragmented. So it's teaching the computer to recognize this is a sign um, and then teaching the computer to read the picture with all sorts of shadings and gradations and computery kind of stuff to recognize the 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 wedge itself and then create a transliteration. And there's lots of other work that's out there that's done uh, using computers and artificial intelligence to take the transliterations and to translate them into languages that you or i might understand
1: might stand a chance with <laughs> Well, was
0: which is basically only one but oh, if that thing
1: did what <laughs> no way <laughs> right so yeah. basically one example of of ai being used for good mm-hmm. <laughs> um so I I think there's a couple of really interesting important questions here, um, and and one of them is very much scalar. So mm-hmm. basically, most recently there are these two teams, one out of Germany, one out of Israel, that are both pursuing this project, kind mm-hmm. of overall pro- project of ultimately translating tablets, mm-hmm. from Akkadian and Sumerian ultimately into English. Right. And there are varying estimates of how many untranslated tablets there are in held by museums and other kinds of institutions. Uh, but it, it's something on the order of a million. <laughs> yeah. And I remember once going into the tablet room at the um, University Museum which I now think has been rebranded as the Penn Museum. Everyone's rebranding. Um, <laughs> and, Should we rebrand this podcast? <laughs> and 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 a seriologist opening up tray after tray saying, We have no idea about this. We have no idea about that. Mm-hmm. None of these have ever been touched. You know, graduate students need, need to work on this one, and then that one. And and it was like, whoa, there are just so there's so much material out there that's n- never been touched never been transliterated, never been, you know, anything. Mm -hmm. So transcribed rather, uh, let alone transliterated, let alone translated. So it's not putting anyone out of a job (laughs) because there's millions of these things. And that I think is going to be a very, very powerful um, uh, objective of this project. It's also ultimately going to allow a seriologist who may or may not complain about this, and I'm sure there are both both sides of the spectrum are represented among Assyriologists, but it's going to allow them to get into the nitty gritty, not having to spend their literally their entire lives, um, you know, just trying to eke out what's what these tablets are uh, saying, but being able to get into you know really interpreting them and piecing together much more about mesopotamian society than we've ever known before um is that a good thing <laughs> i think it is a good thing yeah
2: well i mean i have i think i have more problems than um <laughs> <you>. <laughs> we
1: yeah yeah
2: uh, well you all know i'm a luddite already i've announced that in <laughs> more than one episode um but i i i feel
1: and when, like and you're doing a podcast what and yet you're doing and, a podcast.
2: And yet I'm doing the podcast. That that's true because I know how to like hit record and that's about my extent. Yeah. Um, but um so so first of all, I read several articles. I actually don't think I read the one, Alex, that you referred to. I just read the abstract of that, but I read several. And um what's interesting about all of these articles about AI and cuneiform is they don't present results. And I realize this is early days of this project but you know i don't have any examples of new texts that have been translated much less new information that's important about mesopotamia well, and that's problem number one but go, go ahead <laughs> but that's i mean they're,
1: we're literally at the at the very tip of the iceberg right okay and with, with the way things are going the iceberg is going to melt very quickly so you know we'll, right. we'll, we'll get to that
0: right but, and to to be fair the these articles are about first of all, the technology, right. Right? just getting it to work, like telling the com- correcting the computer. No, that's a wedge. <laughs> that's a- <laughs> no, no, that's a crack. It's not a, it's not a wedge and and training it. And then feeding in lots of published drawings and photographs. And, and then somebody has to go and correct it and like, no, no computer. That's not it. Like any kind of AI, um, you know, sort of project, but the AI projects that are out there are like sucking down gazillions of, you know, our private emails and things like that in order to train themselves. Right. Um, right. At all I, expense.
2: I, I, yeah, I, and I have trouble with several aspects of what you just pointed out. At this point, you
1: still need need a human
2: to um, to to check it all.
1: Um, so, so but you need a human regardless, even if a graduate student does it, you need a human to, you know, make sure that, make sure that they've done a good job. And so much human hours have been put into just, you know, just transcribing these things. That's, that's true too. That's true. So too. It's not um, like, you know, it's not, it's not in, in that regard, it's no different. I, uh, all right. All right. I, I see what you're saying. Um,
2: I also feel like this is making an s- incredibly specialized field of cuneiform studies even more specialized, because now you're going to have this cohort of people who have to know the technology as well as cuneiform. And some of them are exclusive to each other, but some of them have to really understand, because you have to understand what is being fed into this this database. And... um. I, and I think the end result is going to be um, that, well, also, okay, so so when it gets going, so yeah, you're going to find out many, many more tablets are talking about goats being brought into this center and right. sold to that man and so on. Um, right. And is that going to change the face of Near Eastern archaeology, Near Eastern studies? I don't think well, so. So, Well, that,
0: I mean, that's an interesting point, because if you look at... at cuneiform studies, the most sort of, you know, to, <laughs> to experts like us, the, the most <laughs> maniacally detailed data set that you have is from the Ur-3 period at the end of the end of the third millennium when these scribes just went completely insane right. documenting how many chisels went out in the morning and how many chisels came back in the afternoon.
1: On, on some of the tiniest tablets ever mm-hmm. conjured up. Mm. Right. And
0: they they because the people that they worked for were just these kind of bizarre anal retentive <laughs> control freaks. And um you don't have that that kind of level of obsessiveness necessarily in, in other periods, but but maybe the principle stands that you can really get mired down into the day, the activities of the day. Right. Uh, And, but, but that's how, that's how it is in, in any, in any historical undertaking. Um, You, you look at, I don't know, um, court cases from 13th century Britain Mm
2: -hmm, mm -hmm. and
0: they're, you know, you got reams and reams of data about that. You look at Kipus from, you know, South America and they're obsessively measured, measuring and counting this and that what's going in what's going out um but is that good for the historical enterprise
1: well it's sort it? of r and d i mean everything can't be completely goal oriented there's a, let's say there's a million tablets that are untranslated and yeah a lot of them are going to be about goats and sheep <laughs> right. and You're you know 60% but, about goats right but but then there's going to be the 5 or 10% that are gonna come up with all sorts of stuff that no one ever could even mm. imagine in a right. million years. And that's gonna be phenomenal and that is going to change our understanding. The other thing is, it's a scalar thing. You know, now we know that they, in any given period, let's say the or 3 period, because that's sort of the poster child for, as Alex, as you already pointed out, you know, that, you know, a herd size for you know, a, a medium sized institution was 5,000 critters. Mm-hmm. Well, if we begin to now get that over and over and over again, we'll be able to really get a sense of the scale, the economic scale and the logistical scale of big chunks of time. Okay. And we'll have, you know, a really much better understanding than just knowing that four temples in a 100 year period had herds of 5,000 sheep. If we get 40 temples, or 400 temples um, or, or, or you know villages and cities that all have these kinds of sizes of herds, that'll give us a tremendously powerful understanding of the economy that we don't have now. So okay. I, working I, with I, big I data. See, yeah, I don't see a downside. And I also think there's an analogous situation for people like us, and here I'll only speak for myself when I use biblical information, I'm not reading it in Hebrew anymore. Okay. At one point in my life I was, but now I'm picking up a translation that I trust mm-hmm. and I'm picking it apart and I'm using it as judiciously and unjudiciously as possible. <laughs>
2: right. And,
1: uh, I, you know, I'm not worrying about the fact that I haven't, you know, gone to the to the masoretic text and you know done all my own translations. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I don't think it's too different than that. Um and again there's just so much out there. I mean, you know. Well, that's that's true and I think you make
2: a good point about the the you know if even 10% or even 5% gives us a text that's actually not just about donkeys and and goats and we learn something new that's that's worth it. Um I have a couple of other problems with it. Shall I just go on being? <laughs> being Sure. At it? yeah. yeah.
1: It's nice not to be the curmudgeon in the bunch. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you, you can do that next time. Um, I'm going. For Don't check.
1: worry, we will. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, so like all AI technology at this point and probably towards the future too, there are terrible inaccuracies. I don't know if you guys in the last year have typed your own name, you know, what publications have I written into ChatGPT? You know, it makes up things right and left. Is no idea what I do. And same thing with student papers. You know, you can't, <laughs> certainly for antiquity, you can't trust
0: anything a student would. Talk do. about your artificial intelligence right, right. there. Well,
2: <laughs> well, yeah, all right. So, um, but but one of the articles I read pointed out that there are three types of translations, proper translation improper translation and hallucination. Did you guys read this article?
1: Yeah, Um, yes.
2: And and hallucination meaning that the model has produced a meaningful translation in the target language, but that meaning is inadequate to the source. So in other words, the same way as it makes up publications that I never wrote, AI is making up inappropriate translations. And so you're always going to need a human to go through it. So you may as well just keep the human.
0: (laughs) Um, Well, okay, yeah. that's a, that's a fair point. Um, you can't rely on the machines yet. Yeah. Um, the the question that that it it, it raises for me is um, how many humans,
1: mm-hmm. and right,
0: and what is the, what's the role of the of the human as the as the controller of the project or as the uh, drudge who just corrects the machine? No, no, that's not a. Well, it'll be. This sign be, is that it'll sign
1: be a mix and match. And over time, the machines will get better. I mean, again, I don't think you can tear this whole thing apart. It's just started. It's like we're, you know, we're in the first hour, right? So, you know, Give it a, give it some time, um, <laughs> well, but it's no and point. it's also, it's <laughs> also inevitable. So I, I don't really know what the, I mean, there's no point in pushing back against this. Like there's no point in pushing back against AI in general. Right.
2: No, the horse the, has left the stable, or the train has left the station. Whatever.
0: whatever the tube is. is out of the. the toothpaste <laughs> is out of the tube. <laughs> All three of those things. <laughs> right.
1: Right. So, um, uh, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. So there's no point in pushing back. There's only a point in appreciating the potential for what lays ahead. That's a
2: fair point. Um, I will weakly contradict it now by by <laughs> saying, you know. Everybody is into digital humanities these days. And I think there's an element of, oh, let's see if we can do this. Oh, cool. We can spend hours and hours and tons of money and research grants to do this. And yeah, it kind of sort of works. But you know what? People have been translating cuneiform for over 150 years, probably more like 170 years. And they've been doing a pretty darn good job. And I think that this yeah, is-
0: But slowly. Was but slowly. Gonna that was going to be right. Really, really slowly. I mean, it's that's no diss true. on them.
2: But no, the first generation, we couldn't do it, but- the first generation actually, you know, they figured it out and people have oh, sure. been building on it ever since. And um, I feel like the field is becoming so specialized, so overly specialized that it's going to chase away the traditional scholars who would otherwise become graduate students and then experts. Um, I don't, I don't think this is going to, I, I think this is something of a fad, digital humanities in general.
1: Can <laughs> say oh, that? Digital. But this isn't, I mean, digital humanities is one thing. This isn't exactly digital humanities yet. I
2: I think it is exactly digital humanities.
1: No, because it hasn't really been applied. Right now, it's just using AI to translate texts. But uh, it's not going to be available to us necessarily. But, Mm -hmm. you know, to a future Near Eastern archaeologist or historian, the ability to have... 3,000 texts from the site of Lagash that have something to do with the production and burning of dung and the amount of energy thrown off by that. <laughs> and having that available to non, non-trained Assyriologists is mm-hmm. going to be huge because it's going to allow us to interpret all, all sorts new things. of data. Mm-hmm. Right. That we would not have access to, and that right. is really really important, and you know that's
0: right. So that's now you can, can go to things up. yeah. Now you can go to some uh, a website like the Cuneiform Digital Library Initiative, and you can put in like a name,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and and search. But in the in the near future, the day after tomorrow, um, mm-hmm. the computer you'll just ask the the artificial intelligence, you know, find me all the the iterations and variations of this, of this name or this place or this thing or this phenomenon or this right. idea, and you'll be able to manipulate huge amounts of of information and find new find new patterns. And you could do that also with with lots of other things. Ultimately, you know the shapes of pots and right. and uh, and the topographic
1: names that are neither Sumerian nor Akkadian, right. <laughs> um,
0: but, but here's my, here's my question is, um, and it has to do with the democratization of knowledge. Is this, is, is this a way to encourage more expertise and more people getting involved and more people engaging with the material and the ideas, or is it a way to lead to more charlatanry, Charlotte, charlatanry, <laughs> um, On the part of people who don't know what they're doing or have axes to grind, or they're going to do that anyway.
1: It's both, you know, you know, the answer already, you know, it's both. And there's always good, there's always good research and bad research.
0: Like any kind of technology.
1: Like, yeah. And like our fields also, it's always going to be both. And, you know, there are, I think there are bigger questions and more directly existential questions for our disciplines you know regardless um like what like what's the point like in that session that we were just at so what in yeah in ASOR so I I just think that you know some people will do incredibly insightful excellent work based on all of this new data that they're going to have at their fingertips and other people are going to be charlatans and you know yeah. Make stuff up and do, do horrible stuff. But that's no different than now. Well, the bigger
2: the 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 bigger and more accessible it is is what makes it different than now. Um more charlatans will be able to to have access and they won't be able to sort the hallucinations of the AI from the real thing. And and if you're gonna have a human vet everything that comes through, it's still gonna take just as long before it can be made public. Um
1: so well, I, don't, I don't think well, it's going to take
0: just as long. No, because they're not going to have. They're not going to sit there and copy and copy and recopy and copy and recopy. The, the machines are going to get better and better and better at, at mm-hmm. that. Um, but maybe, maybe the there is an opportunity here that for not only new and insightful research on data sets that we can't even that we don't have yet because they haven't been looked at or questions that haven't been posed because we don't have, we can't look at so many things at once. But maybe that will be an opportunity for people to come along and not only ask interesting questions, but also to put it together in new and interesting ways for the public.
1: Of course. And, and the other thing is, I mean, there's so much utter rubbish and nonsense out there already, especially in fields like you know, biblical studies and Egyptology. I I don't, that's already happening. Mm. Right? All the charlatans, all the crappy stuff, Mm. all the stuff that gets churned up in, you know, public ways, public forms. So that's not going to change so much. I don't think the public is going to be all that interested in the, you know, the production of sesame oil. (laughs) in late third millennium context in Southern Mesopotamia. I don't think that's going to be leveraged into some kind of, you know, huge, um, you know.
2: Well, largely because it's never explained in ways that make it interesting, except by us in this podcast. Um, right. right. Well,
0: it's going to be a huge boon for us. Right. Right. So it's, That's the best kind of boon. I guess
2: that's that's the good spin <laughs> from my point of view. Um, but,
0: but somebody who can come along and, and write a, a new cool textbook at a level that we can't, we can't imagine um, is going to do, is going to do great. Um, yeah. Great. Th- it'll make an important contribution. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Okay. Um, so computers, good thing. bad thing.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Final
0: thoughts <laughs> on the
1: computer revolution.
2: I'm not changing my opinion. I think we shouldn't be doing things just because we can. Um,
1: you, maybe you saw 2001 at, at too early an age. Oh, and, and, maybe. Right. and right, and you felt like how was a direct and immediate threat.
2: Yeah, yeah. I
1: I'm saw sure. that when it came out. So did I
0: on a big screen. On a big screen, oh. and it was pretty life changing.
2: <laughs>
1: um it, it it gave me uh it gave me terrors oh uh I, I yeah the house stuff gave me terrors everything else just made me shake my head and go what was that <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah
0: well when he turned off the other the the well, life was- support right. yeah right. he was just um,
2: fulfilling his his directive he's a computer that's what he does um that's right yeah um, um
0: well, maybe that's maybe that's our our future as well. We'll get turned off as <laughs> the artificial intelligence of ancient Near Eastern said, but we'll survive through these podcasts. That's right. <laughs> yes, <of course. laughs> we, or <laughs> some pod, some computer will re reinvent us.
1: I, yeah. I hesitate to to do this. <laughs> I really shouldn't. And <laughs> it depend on your response. Have you watched the series on Apple? For, uh, for all mankind no it's no. an alternative version of the space program <laughs> uh and and settlement on on the moon oh interesting and they That's have not- all of these um news clips of people like you know uh Reagan for instance in particular mm-hmm. Um in which they, you know, fabricate Reagan talking about, you know, the Russians and the Americans having bases on the moon. Uh-huh. And I'm just wondering how long it's going to be before people start saying, well, the Russians and the Americans both have, you know, lunar bases because Reagan's, and we already knew this when Reagan was president. Right. So I think that, you know, I think that there are going to be much bigger issues with all of this AI stuff. Yeah. The yeah. translation of Mesopotamia. Well,
0: but you know what? That's already happening. Because and we we talked about this a year ago. Not not computer based, but Netflix based.
2: Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you know, an alternative prehistory, yeah. you could yeah. you could say. Right. Not, um, not uh not AI, no AI involved no. except for
1: <laughs> fabulous graphics. No AI was damaged or hurt in <laughs> <laughs> the right. <laughs> of this utter rubbish
2: it all comes down to fake news and people don't know what is fake and what is real anymore especially because the digital editing has gotten like you're right. describing so so good that you can put words into reagan's mouth um
1: right. And
2: right. That, i i think that's a terrible problem and i think right. I but, I, but that's, a,
1: that's a big huge societal global problem as opposed to you know some mistranslations of <laughs> <laughs> of, of a few of a few tablets from, you know, Uma. Yeah, right, exactly cuz cuz who cares,
0: right? Right, until somebody comes along and says, you know, the, did you know that they had nuclear fusion in Uma? <laughs> right.
2: It's a technology right. that's been, been lost.
0: suppressed. That
1: information has been suppressed. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, pre- hopefully pre- yeah. predates <laughs> yeah. the domestication of pepper. <laughs>
2: <laughs> right. Um, again, it comes. It comes down to um, it, it. It comes down to you shouldn't necessarily do it just because you can. <laughs> that's that's my final. Wow. question.
0: Right. And that, is, <laughs> that applies especially if you're trying to clone a dinosaur. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> Always the case. Yeah. Well, so should we end that? Ended on that? Yeah. Evergreen piece of advice. I think so. <laughs> Well, all I can say after this episode is, Hal, please don't clone a dinosaur. But in any case, as always, we'd like to thank our music director, the artist still known as Eras Dessel, for our theme music. Look for his performances in the Chicago area and beyond, and why not follow him on Instagram at 54bpm. We'd also like to thank our sponsors, the Tandy Corporation, a subsidiary of Yoyodyne Propulsion Systems. Remember, Tandy's TRS80 is the most powerful pocket computer you can buy. Anywho? To get in touch, leave us a comment right here or hit the little heart shape button to show us that you care because hearts mean love. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at this Ancient and on Facebook. Contact us via email at. This week in the Ancient Near East, which, as you know, is all one word, at gmail.com, or send us a postcard at P.O. Box 1177, Boston, Mass., 02134.